Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, it's great seeing all of you today. Um, I hope you're going to stay for our fun time. We're going to have a great time. There's a dunking booth, and uh, the staff told me I was required to do it. Um, but I, I nicked my thumb yesterday, so I'm highly, highly injured. I'm not sure I'll be able to do it. But um, <laughs> if that water's too cold, I'm going to allow myself to be dunked once. But uh, it's, it's going to be fun. I hope you stick around. Well, we've been doing this series on um, unexpected miracles. And last week, we talked about something that truly was an amazing miracle because you could not explain it in any other way uh, by the sun standing still. T today, we're going to be talking about the parting of the Red Sea, and the Bible talks about how God used the eastern wind to do it. So um, that doesn't mean it's not a miracle. It's still a miracle, especially when we really get into describing what happened and you realize the magnitude of what happened. But God chose to use part of his creation, the wind, he used his creation to bring about this miracle. And, uh, and so as we study this story today, there are four lessons we're going to learn from it. And so let's just dive right in. We're going to be in, the, in uh, Exodus chapter 14. What has already happened at this point? Um, you've had Moses who came back uh, to, to Egypt and he went to the Pharaoh, told him to let the people go. And then you had a series of plagues, 10 in all. The last one was the most devastating one in that the firstborn of each family, the firstborn male of each family, even the, of the livestock, uh, was killed, was, was dead. And then that's when they had the first, that's when they uh, even today celebrate the Passover where the angel of death passed over the home of those who uh, were covered in the blood. The doorposts were covered in, in the blood from a lamb. And, and all is the foreshadowing of Jesus, how he protects us uh, from eternal death. And so now the Egyptians... Uh, have allowed the Israelis, uh, the Israelites to leave and they have left. And so we're picking up the story there. So let's just dive right in in Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord gave Moses these instructions. He said, order the Israelites to turn back. So they've already left. Now he's saying, let them turn back and camp over there by the sea, and uh, he said, then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused and they're trapped in the wilderness. Well, let's, let's stop right there. The very first lesson that I'm learning from this story is that God allows us to choose our response to him. He, he allows us to do that but only to a certain point. He allows you to decide, like he's not going to make you become a Christian. He allows you to decide to respond to the gospel. He allows you to choose whether you're going to obey scripture or not. 
He, he allows you to choose whether you're going to live by His commands or not. He allows you to choose whether you're going to do the right thing or not. He gives you that choice. And so God gives you that choice in responding to Him. And, and in Hebrews chapter 3, listen to what it says. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. So the Israelites, they had a bad habit of hardening their hearts towards God. It's amazing. They would see God show up in an amazing way time and time again, and then let one thing begin to go wrong. And man, they are just, they're just ready to rebel and go away. And um, I mean, <clears throat> Moses went up into the mountain where he was being given the Ten Commandments. He was only gone 40 days, but in those 40 days, they wound up building a golden calf to worship the golden calf. This is after they've seen God do amazing things. It didn't take them long to turn away from God. And they began to harden their hearts to God. So this brings us to an interesting thing. There's a point you can reach where God will harden your heart. In verse 4, God said to Moses, And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Is that, is that fair? I mean, does that sound fair to you? Well, if you go back and look at the ten plagues, and when you read the first several of the t plagues, it uses the phrase, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then about halfway through those plagues, all of a sudden it shifts and it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So here's the lesson. There's a point that you can reach with God that he will say, that's it. You will now face the full consequences of your choice. And that is a frightening place to be. A fearful place to be. Because this is, this is what he was saying about Pharaoh, but he also said the thing about his own children. I mean, they hardened their hearts so many, many times against God, like when they were at the doorstep of the promised land, and they have already seen God do all these amazing miracles, and they decided that we can't take over the land. Well, there's giants in there, and they listened to the false report. Well, it was not a false report, but the negative report of 10 of the 12 spies, and they hardened their hearts to what God's perfect will was and didn't trust God that he was going to give them the land, that God said, that's it. I'm done with you. And this generation's not going to go into the promised land. And they had to spend 40 years in the wilderness until that generation died off. I mean, God has a point where he stops striving with the person. 
So in the life of the non-believer, I'm getting ready to share some really hard truth. And so I want to say it carefully, but it's just hard truth. There's a point that a non-believer can say no to the Holy Spirit so many times because the Bible says the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Christ, is trying to draw you to accept Christ. There's a point that you could reach where the Holy Spirit stops striving with you. And then if that happens, that's it. It's impossible to be saved. Because the Bible says you cannot be saved apart from the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ. That's a hard truth. And, and I am to never assume that that's happened to somebody. You're to never, I mean, there are probably some people you say, oh yeah, that's probably true of them. They, they have rebelled. So uh, you know what? Yeah, maybe they have rebelled, but you might be the very person that God's going to use to save that person. I, I've seen people that I have personally given up on only to watch them to pray to receive Christ later on. So I am never, ever to assume that God has stopped working on somebody. That's God's business, not yours. Never, ever assume that. But a person can reach a point where it's too late. And that's a frightening thing. I, I have been with people on their deathbed. And I'm begging them to open up their heart to Christ. And I've had people to say to me, Pastor, it's too late. And I would say, no, it's not. And they would say, it is for me. Now, I don't know if, if they just were being stubborn or if truly the Holy Spirit had stopped working on them. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, that was the saddest death to watch. Just knowing what they were stepping into without Jesus. Now for a believer, here's a hard truth. There's a point that you can harden your heart to God as a believer and you can rebel enough as a believer and God says, that's it. I'm, I'm bringing you home. I'm not going to let you do any more damage. The, the Bible teaches that. That there's some people in the New Testament, some believers who died early deaths because of their rebellion. Now again, there's a difference. Last week, two weeks ago, I did the funeral of Sharon uh, Adams in our church. Sweet person, loved the Lord. She stood on this stage right before she was going to Charleston to have the uh, bone marrow transplant and all the stuff she went through, and she wound up not surviving it. Um, and she was in her mid-50s, and she was a person of faith. Oh my goodness, I mean, there was no doubt about her faith. There was no doubt about her trust of God. And one of the things I said at the funeral was, Sharon died young. 
but she did not die early. She lived the full measure that God had planned for her life. Because the, the Bible says that God ordains the days of our lives, and, and we don't know what those days are. And so she was walking with Jesus, so when she died young, I can trust she didn't die early. Now, the opposite is also true. There are some believers who do die early because they have so rebelled against the Holy Spirit, so rebelled against God, that God, I mean, now they still go to heaven. They still get the full measure of heaven. They don't have to live in a little pup tent when they get to heaven. Everybody else lives in a mansion. So, I mean, it's not a horrible thing. They'd still go to heaven in all His glory. But the fullness of what God had planned for their life is not realized. They did not fulfill God's purpose for their life. I mean, here's how this plays out. I mean, I know some believers, and they just choose to go the way of just drugs. And it costs them their life. Now, that's dying early. They face the consequences of their choices. And their life did not fulfill God's purpose and plan for their life. And they missed out on the rewards and the blessings that God intended for them. So again, when, when a Christian dies early or, or young, I'm not to assume that God took them out. I mean, sometimes bad things just happen to good people, you know. Uh, if a young person who is living for the Lord and, and, and a drunk person hits their car and it kills them, and I'm not just to say, hey, well, they obviously were living in sin and God just took them out. I, I don't believe that. But it is a serious thing. It is a serious thing to harden your heart towards God. And with Pharaoh, it cost him everything. And with the Israelis, the Israelites, it cost them everything. This is, this is serious to God. And so it should be serious to us. So God said in verse 4, And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have... Listen, oh man, this is amazing right here. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Now, this is my second point today. God alone is worthy of glory. God is all about his glory. And even in a pagan God's going to have His glory. And so here God was going to bring glory to His name through a pagan king, the Pharaoh, and his entire army. And that's God's purpose for your life, is to bring Him glory. Your life as a believer is not about you having your stuff. It's about God's glory. 
And as a believer, you should be more aware of that than anybody else. You just you should say, hey, my life, because God has saved me, and I'm just here temporarily, and I'm going to spend eternity in heaven, I, my life needs to be all about His glory. My life needs to bring glory to His name. Everything that I say and do needs to be about bringing glory to His name, because I'm going to spend eternity with Him. And everything that I do down here is all temporary. So I want to live for what matters. God, let, let me tell you how serious God is about this. The Bible says that the day is coming when every knee is going to bow down and worship Jesus and His glory. Everybody in heaven, everybody on earth, and everybody in hell. So even in hell, you will worship the Lord Jesus, and that will give him glory. A person can spend their life denying that God even exists. A person can spend their life rebelling against holy God. A person can spend their life saying no to Jesus, but the day is coming when they're going to start something called eternity and they're going to spend eternity praising the glory of Jesus Christ while they're paying eternally for their personal sins. That's how serious God is about His glory. That even hell is going to shout the glory of God. So God says to Moses, today, Pharaoh and his army are going to bring me glory. Wow. This is amazing. So let's continue on with the story. When the word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all these Israelite slaves get away, they asked. What? Man, their memory is short. When, when God hardens your heart, you're going to do what he planned for you to do. And, and so they seem to have forgotten the ten plagues. In fact, they should still be in mourning because it was just a few days ago that they had lost all their firstborns. Everybody suffered. All of Egypt suffered. They seem to have forgotten that. And so now word gets to them, and just like God said, when God said, and once again I will harden Pharaoh's heart, they decided, well, we got to go get them back. Uh, we, you know, we're in trouble as a nation. We got to recover economically. And so we need our slaves back, our free labor. So in verse seven, he says, and he took him, uh, he took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt. So he took everybody and each with its commander. So he took all of his leaders and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 
So he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fist raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all of his horses and chariots, all of his charioteers, and all of his troops. So the entire military force of Egypt was heading towards the Israelites who were blockaded by the Red Sea. And the Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they had camped beside the shore. And as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked. Wow, you see, both sides seem to have a short memory. These people just experienced 10 miracles of God. And the last one was a foreshadowing of Jesus. When they saw the death angel go across the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn, even of the animals, except for them. And what saved them was the blood of a, of a lamb, and that blood was put over the post of the door. And the angel of the Lord that was bringing death passed over them. I said, that's why they call it the Passover. And that was a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus. You see, you see, when death comes for you, death will see the blood of Jesus on you. And you will not experience hell, but heaven. So here they are. They know all this. And their first reaction is panic. Are Christians that way? Well, yeah. I mean, we see God do things in our lives time and time again. We hear, we hear testimonies of what God is up to time and time again. And then something happens that catches us off guard. And we like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What am I going to do? We forget about God's faithfulness in the past. I mean, you've seen God work in your life in so many ways, and then you get a report from the doctor and you immediately go home and start planning your funeral. It's like, what? I want to see the glory of God. You know, your first reaction should be when something happens you have no control over, your first reaction should be, fantastic, I get to see God's glory show up again in my life. Now, that's a statement of faith, right? I mean, when something happens that's a reversal in your life and your reaction is, oh, good. Now I get to see God do something. Man, now that's a state, statement of faith. But that's not what they did. They panicked, and I'm afraid we do the same thing. When they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, they cried out to the Lord. Well, at least they got that right. And that's what you should do. You cry out to God. God... Something's happening. I don't know it. I don't know what to do. And God will say, hey, I'm still God. I was faithful before and I'll be faithful again. So now what do they do? They said to Moses, verse 11, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? You talk about short memories. <laughs> we're, 
Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Man, you talk about changing history. They're rewriting history right there. What's the first thing that God's, one of the first things that God said to Moses at the burning bush? He said, I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt. The people were crying to God to come and save them. They were begging God to come and save them. So God sent Moses to do that. And now they're saying, hey, you forced us to leave. Are you kidding me? I mean, they, all of a sudden, they're wanting to rewrite history and say, we had it good. Yeah, we were slaves, and yeah, we were beaten, and yeah, some of us were killed, but we really had it good. I mean, you talk about just being an idiot thinking up here. They, no wonder God would get so impatient with them. So they were like, Verse 12, they even poured it on. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Wow. They conveniently forgot the degree of their enslavement. When they have this, I told you so attitude. But Moses told the people, verse 13, don't be afraid. I would have said, don't be such a baby. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Sometimes that's what you need to hear as a believer. Stand still. And watch God be God. Just watch God be God. And then Moses gives a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. He says, the Egyptians that you see today will never be seen again. God told Moses what was going to happen. So he said, just stand back and watch. The Lord Himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Now the confidence shown by Israel in their departure is a sharp contrast to the fear they exhibited when they became aware of this pursuing force. Because this was a massive fighting army. Then in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell these people to get moving. I mean, goodness, Moses, what's going on? <laughs> Haven't I told you what's happening? What I'm going to do? Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Here, here's my third point. God wants us to experience miraculous things. He may do them through natural ways, but He wants you to experience miracle things. In Psalms 37, 
It says, take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desire. He will give you your heart's desire. And then Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need. Doesn't say what you want. It says what you need. God wants you to experience miraculous things. Verse 18, he said, when my glory is displayed, oh, no, verse 17, he says, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops and his chariots and his chariots deer. God's glory was going to be shown that day. And when my glory is displayed through him, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am God. And then the angel of the Lord who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. Now, let's talk about this angel of the Lord a minute. During the day when they left Egypt, the angel of the Lord that God sent down during the day was a, a, a big cloud that everybody could see. They knew the direction to go. And at night, it turned into a flame. Not just the torch. I mean, God's glory. And, and it would light up the sky. And so he had been, the angel of the Lord had been at the front, but now the front is the Red Sea. And so this angel moved to the rear to protect the Israelis while God's doing what he's going to do with the Red Sea. And so... Now get this, when that pillar of fire showed up between the Egyptians and the Israelites, I would imagine immediately a lot of those uh, Egyptians went, I'm going home. I I'm getting out of here. But God hardened their hearts so that they would not do that because he had already decided that they were going to bring glory to him that day. And he hardened their hearts because they had no choice in the matter now. Free will went out the window. When God hardens a heart, free will is gone. Well, so let's pick up the story. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and the Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Well, I wouldn't think so. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. And the wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. Now, let's get this picture for a second. We just had a hurricane to come close by, and it was a Category 5 at part of its places, and the, the wind of a Category 5 can just tear anything up, and it just you know rocks the ocean like crazy, but I've never seen it strong enough to make a wall of water, just a wall standing still. So get this picture. This eastern wind that the Bible's talking about 
is a wind that's stronger than a Category 5 hurricane wind. Because it was, you know, the Red Sea, there's some people who tried to say, well, it was only a few inches, maybe a foot of water. So it was no big deal. And that's when I say, praise God. Because God destroyed the Egyptian army in a foot of water. <laughs> the wind was so strong, it had to be stronger than a Category 5 hurricane that it created a wall of water. The ocean, just the sea split, and it was a wall. And it blew strong enough to immediately dry out that land that had been underwater. Can you imagine how muddy and yucky that would have been? But it was completely dry. And not only that, the miracle then that there was a basically a windless tunnel for them to go through because that wind that was holding the water back, they could not have walked through that wind. They could not have stood against it. It would have destroyed them. So God created this wind and then he isolated it so that they could walk across on dry ground and didn't even mess up their hairdo. I mean, that's a miracle too. I mean, that's another whole miracle in this thing that, that God was able to so zero that thing in. Wow. So here are these two massive walls. Can you imagine just staring at that as you're walking by? And they're seeing that? And, and these are the same people who later on would struggle in trusting God. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That they would still struggle with that. In fact, the people that actually saw that and walked through that land, with the exception of two people, none of them got to go into the promised land because of their disobedience. Wow. So, in verse 22... So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground and the walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud. Oh, wait a minute. God Himself was in that cloud and that fire. God was there. And He threw their forces into total confusion. I would imagine those that were at the... Well, hang on a second. He twisted their chariot wheels making their chariots difficult to drive. You know, maybe let some of that wind start blowing into their equipment, their chariots. He threw them, literally, physically threw them into chaos because maybe God began to allow that hurricane plus wind start zeroing in on them.
Let's get out of here. Away from these Israelites, the Egyptians said. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Now what did God say? And they will know that I am the Lord. But God didn't let them loose. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and their charioteers. And as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape. I would imagine the ones that were at the rear who were probably just getting into the, the sea, they were trying to, help, uh, to hightail it back to, to the shoreline and, and God wouldn't let that happen. And so he, he, uh, the waters returned and covered them and uh, the entire army of Pharaoh, all of the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Not a single one. Which I would assume included Pharaoh. Now, somebody who knows a little bit of history might say, why isn't any of this in the Egyptian records? Because it's not. Of all the records that have been deciphered and found, there's no mention of this kind of event. Well, there's really a simple reason for that. Egyptians had a way of always making sure everything put them in the best light, and they would actually rewrite their history. If something went bad, they would just take it out of the books. And so it makes perfect sense to me that they would have taken out. They, they, no Pharaoh wanted to have it in the history books that a bunch of slaves beat him. And so it was no big deal for them to just take it out of the record as if it wasn't done. You know, that even happens today. You know, when a senator in our Congress makes a speech from the floor of the Senate chamber, he can later go back and change the record of what was said. Did you know that? That's interesting. So maybe that's what they've done. They just wrote them out of their history books because it makes them look like the fools. Here's number four. God will always keep His Word, even when it doesn't feel like it. You see, the Israelis, they, they didn't feel like God was with them. They felt like they had been abandoned and they were going to just die in the desert. But God always keeps His Word. Here's some words from God that you can always depend on. I will never desert you. I will never leave you. I will always provide you with what you need. I will hear your prayers. If you search for me, you will find me. You can trust my promises. They're always true. You can trust my word. God will always keep his word. Even when it doesn't feel like it.
In 1 Corinthians 1, it says, He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for He is faithful to do what He says. And He has invited you into partnership with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what that says to me is, when Jesus returns, God will hold none of my sins against me because Jesus has already paid for them. That's a promise I've got from God. I'll never have to answer for my sins because they've already been answered for by Jesus. I don't have to worry about whether I get to go to heaven or not when I die. I'm already told that there's a place there for me and that Jesus is preparing it for me. And when my place is ready, He will come and get me. I can trust God's Word. And so can you. What Word of God do you need to trust today? Maybe you need to trust where He says, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive you of all sin and cleanse you from all iniquity. Maybe that's one you need to hear. Maybe you need to hear, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive you. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe you need to hear, He doesn't want you to ever fear death. You have nothing to fear. You, you just don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be afraid of it. Because death cannot separate you from God. Maybe you need to hear, I know what your needs are, and I'm going to provide them. I'm going to take care of you. But you've got to trust me. Maybe you need to hear, my word is living. It's like a two-edged sword. It can handle anything that you're facing. My word is truth. It's a guide for you. Maybe you need to hear, my spirit is in you and will always be in you. So maybe we should close with praying to Holy God. Let my life be all about your glory. Let's pray.